I got a thumbs up from, from Callie back there because normally she has to like wave, jump up and down, do jumping jacks to get me to turn my microphone on. This time I jumped it and got it right before she did that. Amen. Looking forward to it. Uh, how many of y'all like the idea of being successful? Anybody raise your hand if you like the idea of being successful? Good deal. I'm glad I'm not the only one. I do too. Well, today is the answer to your prayer because today we are going to be talking about living life successfully. The challenge with that is, is that success is often very difficult to define. It's difficult to, to define what success is. Uh, among the apostles of Jesus Christ, uh, the one stunning success was Judas. And the one utter failure was Peter. You think, Bill, you lost your stinking mind. Let me keep going. Well, Judas was a success in the ways that most impressed me and you. That most impressed the world. He was successful financially. He was successful politically. He controlled the money that was given to the apostles. And then he skillfully manipulated the political forces that he wanted control over. Peter was a failure in the ways that we most dread. He was ineffective whenever a crisis came. And he also tended to open his mouth all at the wrong time. At the arrest of Jesus, like the rest of the men, Peter tucked tail and ran away. And in many situations with the Lord Jesus, Peter said the most inappropriate things. Time, of course, has a way of reversing how we review these things. The name Judas now is synonymous with betrayal. And Peter is one of the most honored people in the history of Christianity. But the world still chases after the so-called successes of Judas. The world still chases after financial wealth. The world still chases after political power. So I'm here to tell you this morning that true success is not what the world thinks of you and what you've done. True success is what God thinks of you and what you've done. Now, in the book of Joshua, we're starting a new series this morning. Uh, kind of jump, jumping around through the book of Joshua. And in this book, we find that it's a book of new beginnings for God's people. Uh, every now and then, I think you would agree with me that God's people need a fresh start. We need a, a new beginning, so to speak. And if you're anything like me, uh, Bethel people then you probably are sensing the same thing that I'm sensing. That we could really use a new beginning. We could really use a fresh start. You know what I'm talking about. Things can get real stale sometimes. Ministry can become a burden. And if you're not careful, serving the Lord can become a dread. Maybe you're there too. Well, Joshua was facing one of the most defining moments in his whole life. He was facing the challenge of replacing Moses as a leader of God's people. 
but he was also faced with the challenge of carrying the burden of leading people to the promised land. So what can we learn from Joshua that will help you and I to experience success? Well, I believe that the Bible tells us uh, all throughout the scriptures, not just in Joshua, that God prepares whom he calls. It's not working? Flick it up here. Hmm? We just went backwards. Hey, hey, hey. Amen. Now it won't work. <laughs> Living life successfully. So God prepares whom he calls. Read with me in Joshua chapter 1, beginning just in the first two verses of that chapter. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua. That's important. Who's speaking to Joshua? Who? The Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land that I am giving to them, yes, the children of Israel. Now, God has spent many years preparing Joshua for this day. Joshua was born a slave in Egypt, and he was the oldest son of a man named Nun. Now, since Joshua was the firstborn, you may remember that his life was in danger in Egypt. His life was in danger on the night of Passover because God had judged Pharaoh and the nation of Egypt by killing all the firstborn in Egypt. But obviously, Joshua's family was faithful because they had obviously applied the blood to the doorpost and Joshua was spared. Now, the first time that we're introduced to Joshua is in Exodus chapter 17 where he's handpicked by Moses to lead God's people to go and battle against the Amalekites. Even then, back when Joshua was a young lad, God was preparing him for the countless battles that Joshua would face on the way to the promised land and even the battles that he would face while he was in the promised land. And then in Numbers chapter 13, we find that Joshua was one of the 12 spies that was sent into the land. Now, you may remember that when God's people first reached the promised land, that Moses sent in these 12 spies to survey the land and to see what was going on, to see what the challenges might be. Well, when the spies returned, every one of them agreed, man, that land is good. They said, man, that land is filled with milk and honey. It's awesome land. But only 10 of the spies said that it was useless to go in. There was no way they could conquer the land. It was useless to go. The enemies were too big. The obstacles were too large and way too many. There was only two. Only Joshua and only Caleb who said that they both could and should go in and capture the promised land. Now, 
The problem was is that the people believed the majority report. We got the same problem in the United States of America today. We got people believing the so-called majority report and they're not receiving the promises of God. Uh, we'll go into that another day. But they believe the majority of the report, majority report, and what happened was is they ended up spending 40 years in the wilderness and a whole generation of people did not inherit the promises of God. All because they believe the majority report. Well, after 40 years there in the wilderness, as Moses was preparing to die, he asked God to give the people a leader. And God spoke and told him that he had chosen Joshua. Joshua. Now, in life, we all find obstacles to success. You want to be a success in God's eyes? Guess what? You're going to find obstacles that will try to keep you from it. Think about the obstacles. There are things that try to steal our joy. There are things that try to kill our dreams. There are things that try to destroy our hopes. Who else does that? That's what Satan does, amen? Satan tries to kill, steal, and destroy, and he's real good at it. But if we look at these obstacles negatively, here's what's going to happen. You're going to get discouraged. You look at the obstacles that are in standing between you and success, and you're going to find yourself thinking, you know what? Maybe I'm not going to follow through with what God's called me to do. So what happens then? Well, we got to remember that with God, obstacles are nothing but a stepping stone. Obstacles are nothing but a stepping stone. And they're really just an opportunity to experience the power of God and also to grow in our faith. Obstacles are not that bad, y'all. It's just how do you view the obstacle? How do you view the stepping stone? Now, I don't know God's plan for your life. You probably don't either. But all that you know, for all you know, God might be training you and shaping you to be the pastor here. For all you know, God might be shaping you or uh, leading you, training you up so that you might be a deacon leader in this church. For all you know, God might be shaping you to be a teacher, to be a youth minister right here in this church. And you need to be receptive to that even if there are obstacles that stand in your way. Here's my point. If God calls you to do it, God will prepare you for it. Amen? He will prepare you to do it. He will prepare you to be used in a remarkable, remarkable way. Now, there's something else you need to know. Not only will he prepare you if he's called you, but the Bible also teaches us that God promises that he'll be with us the whole time. The whole time. Following the death of Moses, Joshua faced one of the greatest challenges of his life. Joshua knew that he'd been chosen by God. There was no doubt about that. He knew he'd been chosen by God, but then the reality of it all started to come in and it became a burden to him. Now, those of you that signed up for our Christians in Action ministry last week, you may be thinking the same thing. I know that God has called me to do this, but now, come August 31st, the reality is going to start setting in. Amen? And you're going to start saying, oh my gosh, what have I done? Amen? Every, am, I, am I crazy? What was I thinking? 
Amen. I see you laughing back there. I know what you're thinking. Amen. Hallelujah. We're all thinking the same thing. So a lot of times the reality can be difficult for us to bear. With Joshua, questions flooded his mind. Anxiety, fear overwhelmed him. Could he handle such a great responsibility? He asked, what if God's people rejected him just like they had rejected Moses? I mean, would they follow me? I mean, what if I fail? Countless unanswered questions filled Joshua's heart with dread. So I want you to listen carefully what the Lord told Joshua. In verse 3 there in chapter 1, God said, who said? God said, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. The Lord speaking here, friends. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Now I wondered, why was God making such an effort to reassure Joshua? I mean, it seemed like the Lord was really going out of his way to reassure Joshua. I think it's because he knew what Joshua was struggling with. Do you know that God knows what you struggle with? He knows the things that challenge you. He knows the things that beset you. And it's good that he knows that. Because these, these truths that God is sharing with Joshua are also true in our life. These are the kind of words that I want to hear when I feel burdened. These are the kind of words that I want to hear when I feel overwhelmed. These are the kind of words that I want to hear when I'm facing obstacles of this magnitude. I need to know that God is going to be there, and under no circumstances is he going to leave me. The same is for you, friend. We want to know that God understands us, and he does. He does understand us. He knows what you're struggling with. He knows what you're going through. He knows what overwhelms you. He knows what's keeping you from God's best for your life. He knows. He understands. And here's what he does about it. He confirms to you, I'm present with you. You're not going through this by yourself. I am with you, and I will never, ever leave you high and dry. I'll always be with you. So friends, when you're going through CIA in the middle of that semester and you start getting overwhelmed, you just got to know that God is with you, amen, and that he won't leave you high and dry. But I want you to notice something else that God stresses here because it's something we really need to take note of, and that is this. God provides us the formula for success. Right here in these verses, he provides us the formula for success. Let's read it there in verse 7. Let's see if you can catch it. In verse 7, God said, the Lord said, God Almighty said to Joshua, only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses said, Moses my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it from the right hand or to the left 
that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For Listen to this. For then, say for then, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now, one thing you may not know about Joshua is that Joshua was one of the most extraordinary military leaders of all time. He, uh, his whole career, Joshua's whole career uh, as a leader of God's people was a straightforward story of putting one foot in front of the other. That's what Joshua focused on, putting one foot in front of the other. When you become burdened doing the work of God and you become overwhelmed, you just need to remember you need to keep putting one foot in front of the other, obeying and doing what God commanded in his word. One foot in front of the other, quietly obeying his commander-in-chief. Who was his commander-in-chief? God was his commander-in-chief. And that's who he took orders from, and that's who he followed, God. And as a result of that, guess what? Joshua was very successful. Very successful. He was successful, why? Because he paid attention to what God said. He paid attention when God said, Be careful, son. Be careful to obey the law that my servant Moses had given you. Don't turn from it to the right or the left. Stay focused on it. One foot in front of the other. Keep walking according to my word. Stay on the word. Stay on the path. And when you do that, son, you're going to be successful in whatever you do. Just stay on the word. Stay on my word, God said. And you know what? That is exactly what Joshua did. He didn't veer to the right or the left. He followed God's word, and he was very, very successful. Now, as I see it, and we break all that down, I see four parts to this formula for success. Four parts. Think about this. But, well, before I get started on that, I want you to remember something. That success, uh, the success that Joshua was promised does not necessarily translate into worldly prosperity. We're not talking about having full pockets and heavy bank accounts, okay? Uh, we're not talking about that. We can be a great success in the eyes of God, yet not necessarily prosperous in the eyes of the world. So I'm not talking about earthly prosperity. I'm talking about godly success, and I think you would agree there is a difference, amen? Amen. Okay. First key to success. Joshua was to know the Word of God. To know the Word of God. Everything depended on this. Knowing the Word of God. Everything depended on Joshua knowing and studying the Word of God. If you want to start walking according to God, if you want to start being a more useful instrument in the hands of God, you've got to know and study the Word of God. If God's Word's going to be your guide in everything that you do, and it should be, then you have got to know the Word of God. This is our guide. It's right here for you. But if you don't know it and you don't study it, then it's of no use to you. You've got to know the Word of God. 
Friend, if you feel that God is calling you, and you should all feel some tugging, some calling on your life from God to serve Him in some capacity, I want to tell you what the best thing you can do is. The best thing that you can do is crack this book, open this book, and prepare yourself for that calling by studying and knowing the Word of God. As much as you can, as much as you can tolerate, study and know the Word of God. That was the first key to success. The second key to success is Joshua was to talk about God's Word. Verse 8 says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. How many of you know that your mouth is more than just for eating? Amen? It's for talking. Amen? So once you get to know the Word of God, guess what you're supposed to talk about? Talk about the Word of God. Clearly, I believe, God is calling Joshua to include God's Word in every part of his daily conversation. Every part. Joshua is called to use God's Word to relate to his family, to relate to his friends, to relate to his neighbors, to relate to co-workers, to relate to anybody whom he might come into contact with. We're supposed to speak the Word of God. When you speak the Word of God, you're speaking power. Amen? Speak the Word of God. Now, I'm fully aware that in a society that asks us as Christians to be tolerant of people of all manner of beliefs, we're tolerated only as long as we keep it inside the church building. Amen? It's sad that that's the case. But when we try to discuss God or our faith in Christ uh, in the workplace, we find out how tolerant our society really is. Not very. But it's clear to me that Joshua is being instructed to make the Word of God part of his life. Every day. Make the Word of God part of who you are, part of who you speak about. Here's a third key for success for you. Joshua was to meditate on the Word of God. In verse 8, Joshua is told, But you shall meditate in it day and night. Meditating on God's Word is the next logical step to knowing it and talking about it. Right? But what is meditating on the Word of God? Well, meditating is when you think about how you're going to apply it. You read it, you know it, you study it, and then you begin to meditate and you begin to think, okay, how does this fit for me? Where in my life should I plug this scripture in? Where does God's word change for me? Where is it going to change my, my life? Meditating. You see, it's only when the Word of God gets in here. You hear me, friends? When God's Word gets in here, renews your mind, now you've got power over the flesh. The Word of God has renewed your mind, now you have power over the body. Right? 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 Amen. Okay, just want to make sure y'all are still awake. Hallelujah. So meditating is about applying the Word of God to our lives to see how God wants to fit it into our lives. It's so important. Because when the Word of God gets into our mind, now all of a sudden it begins to affect the day-to-day -day decision making. When God's Word gets into our mind and we apply it to our life, now all of a sudden God's Word begins causing change in us. 
And that's what meditating on the Word of God is all about. Now, there's a final key, and it's probably the most important key, but Joshua was to obey God's Word completely. It's the last key, but it's the most important key. Joshua was told, don't, you're not only to know it, you're not only to speak about it, you're not only to meditate in it, but you're to do it. You're to do my word. You're to obey my word. God said, be careful to obey my law that my servant Moses gave you. Don't turn from it from the right or the left. Do it that you may observe to do all that is written in my word. Now, I think you would agree with me that this is the point where modern Christianity breaks down. The doing is where modern Christianity breaks down. Most Christians know a whole lot more about the Bible than they're applying. Would you agree with that? Are you doing that? Don't answer that. We all do that. We know a whole lot more about the Bible than we're applying. It's not that we don't know what to do, the right thing, what kind of right thing to do. It's just that we don't do it. We know it, but we don't do it. I'm going to be speaking tonight about um, that yes, but mentality. You ever heard that before? Yes, I believe that it's the Word of God, but, but I don't think I'm going to do it. So if it's the Word of God and you're not doing it, then there's going to be some consequences coming down somewhere, amen? Don't have that yes, but mentality. When President James Garfield was principal of the Hiram College in Ohio, a father came to him once and asked him if a degree could be simplified so that his son could get through it quicker. And here's what Garfield said. He said, certainly, but what do you want to make of your boy? When God wants to make an oak tree, he takes 100 years. When God wants to make a squash, he takes two months. We already got enough squashes. Amen? We need more oak trees. With supposedly, and I use that very generously, supposedly 50 million Christians in the United States alone, it seems like we just don't have very many Joshua's. Maybe a lot of them know and maybe even a lot of them speak the word of God. But they're not meditating in it and applying it and, and not to be mean, but they're not obeying it either. They're not doing the word of God. The mission statement I believe that we should have for our Christians in action, for our children's ministry, is raising up Joshua's. Raising up Joshua's. Why do you say for the children? Well, for many of you, it's too late. Amen? I'm just kidding. You can be a Joshua too. But we want to focus on our children raising up Joshua's. It just seems like, and I don't have to tell you this, it just seems like that we don't have many people who are absolutely determined to know the Word of God in detail and then obey it through a lifetime of faithful service. We just don't see that much anymore. So what do we need? Well, I can tell you what we don't need. We don't need, need more clever methods to reach people. We don't even need more clever people to reach people. What we need today is increased obedience to what we already got. 
increased obedience to the Word of God, and get this, a motivation to flesh out the Word of God. That's what we need. Obedience and fleshing out the Word of God. Making the Word of God real in our lives. Friends, I want to be successful. I want to be successful in the eyes of God. And I want our marriages to be successful in the eyes of God. I want our families to be successful in the eyes of God. I want this church to be successful in the eyes of God. Friend, I want you to be successful in the eyes of God. And if all of you want that too, then the formula for success has been laid out for us. It's very, very simple, but I think you'd agree it's also very, very difficult. How do you do it? Well, first and foremost, you've got to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. You've got to turn from your sin. You've got to place your faith in the only means by which God has saved humanity, and that is the shed blood of Jesus Christ, his son. Believe that Jesus was gloriously raised from the grave to prove once and for all beyond a shadow of a doubt that God has defeated death. That he has defeated the grave and that, listen, eternal life is a real possibility for you. And then when you've taken care of that, when you become a child of God, when you become part of the family of God, when you become part of the church of God, then... Do what Joshua was taught. Do what God taught Joshua. Immerse yourself in the Word of God. Strive to know the Word of God. Strive to talk about the Word of God. Strive to meditate in the Word of God. Strive to obey the Word of God in every detail. God said, you do that, Joshua, and you will be very successful. I've had people almost all my ministry life come up to me and say, Brother Bill, how can I be an effective Christian? How can I be a successful believer? I'm tired of living with the world. I'm tired of my life being tainted by the world. How can I do it, Bill? And inevitably, I come up with the same solution every time, and I'm thankful because now today it's, it's confirmed in my heart that it's the Word of God. Immerse yourself in the Word of God and allow it to become a part of who you are and flesh it out. Strive, friend, to know it and talk about it and meditate in it and strive to obey it. So you want success? Can you handle success? And it's all about the striving. Striving to know the Word of God. To talk about it. To meditate in it. And to obey it. That's the promise of God. And that's how we live life successfully in his eyes. Friend, today, if you're tired of living a life of defeat, and you're saying, Bill, I could use a little bit of that success, then I want to just commit to you that coming and believing and placing your faith in Jesus Christ is the first step to do that. Become part of the family of God. And then you can immerse yourself in the Word of God and allow your life to be eternally changed and also changed on this planet. 
I can't make that choice for you. Do you know what? God can't make that choice for you. He leaves it all up to your own free will. Do you want heaven as your eternal home? He says, I've provided the means, now it's your choice. Do you want to live a successful life? I've provided the means, now it's your choice. So what will it be to you today? As we pray today, and I pray you will listen to the Holy Spirit, and if there's a decision in your life that needs to be made, come forward and let's see what this book says about eternity and about successful life. Amen? Let's pray together.